we're looking at how Jesus is uniquely revealed in each book of the Bible. And I got to tell you, I've never been more excited about anything I've done in ministry than this. I, I think about it all the time. Uh, we're getting close to the final book of the New Testament. And I think we're on book number 51 of 66, if I remember correctly. But we're in the book of Philippians, where Jesus is revealed in the book of Philippians. So each week, we've taken each book of the Bible to show how Jesus is uniquely revealed in that book. So when you go back and you study a book that you might not be that familiar with, maybe a book that you are very familiar with, I want you to go back and be able to listen to about a 30, 40-minute message and hear all about the history and context of that book and where Jesus is uniquely revealed, so that you become deeper students of God's Word. Listen, our goal, let me just make sure we understand, our goal here is not to attract a crowd. Our goal here is to make disciples. I am deeply convicted. I am dramatically convicted. I get passionate when I start speaking, and it's because I am so compelled that we must not merely gather people into a room to get you know, our agenda accomplished, but that we really learn what it is to serve His agenda on an everyday basis. So stay in the Word. Very excited. Had somebody actually come to me today and say, uh, 50 years old, first time he's ever read the Bible through because of the Turn the Page Challenge. Let me encourage you, stay in the Word. Yeah, let's celebrate, because I hear that a lot now. And the turn the page challenge is simple, just every day turn the page, just one page, put a date at the top, commemorate something. I, I really want to encourage you to be men and women of the Word. You're, you'll, you'll, be, you'll deepen your life spiritually. God will awaken things within you that you don't even understand are being awakened. And today as we look at Jesus revealed in the book of Philippians, it's a, it's a remarkable book. And um, this is clearly known over the course of many years as what theologians would reference as the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. Philippians is called the letter of joy. And that's remarkable for a number of reasons, and I want us to see and understand why. But I want to ask you a question as we get started in this. And, and by the way, that's how Jesus is revealed. Jesus is revealed in the book of Philippians as our source, our eternal, unending, unwavering, unrelenting source of joy. That is profound. Like, he's an eternal source of joy. That means the stuff going on around us does not have control about the magnitude of joy that you and I can experience. And the book of Philippians so reveals this in amazing ways. So I, I want to just, I want to challenge you in this by first getting you in a mindset that starts to understand. As I was just praying and asking God over the last few weeks how to do this, I felt that the Lord brought this to me. On a scale of one to ten, I want you to picture the number in your mind. On a scale of one to ten, how happy are you? So you get that, that number in your mind. You have it there. Now, if you don't mind, uh, then show me your number. Go ahead and give me your sign if, you, if you're comfortable sharing that uh, openly. So I'm seeing some, some numbers there, happiness. All right. So now I want you to think, let's, let's move on from what number you rank yourself in a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of how happy you are. And I want you to rate, rank yourself in a scale of 1 to 10 about how joyful you are. You get that number? So first we're talking about on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy you are. Now we're talking on a scale of 1 to 10 how joyful you are. Okay, show me that number if you don't mind. And so for many of us that number is not the same. And hopefully um, you understand the difference 
between the level of happiness and the level of joyfulness as Christians. Let me just remind you, in the book of Philippians, Jesus is revealed as our eternal source of joy. you, You just need to hear this with your spiritual ears. Jesus said in Scripture, you who have ears hear. He was talking to people that had physical ears, but he understood even though some people have physical ears, they simply tune out the Holy Spirit. Tune in the Holy Spirit today. God wants to take us somewhere. There is a difference between your level of happiness and your level of joyfulness. And and the the distinction is clearly made as we start to look at this and and we start to see the the epistle or the letter of joy. This, This letter is is filled with things people love to quote. Let me give you a few very famous verses. You've probably quoted some of these, one for sure. Uh, Philippians 1, 6, he, began, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it or will carry it on to completion. Aren't you glad for the goodness of God that he'll never leave you where he found you, but he's planning to take you where he desires to get you? And so then he goes on in this wonderful book of, the, this book of joy in, in Philippians 1, 21. It says, for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, there's a perspective that this life brings, but there's another perspective. And I just want you to know, Jesus changes everything in both life and in death. Here's one that most of us would know. You can probably quote it from memory. Say it with me if you would. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's say it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's power in God's Word. Understand that to memorize the Bible is to memorize the mind of God. To declare the the Scripture is to declare the voice of God in the earth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is no, no kind of force coming against me that can compare to the power of God that is at work within me. How about you? That's just who we are. That's who God defines us as, as we look at this and walk this out. So hear this this interesting letter of joy. It is one of the four prison epistles. You, You know what that means. This letter of joy was written, as were three other letters, when Paul was in prison. Now, just kind of let that sink in for a moment, because the worst day at work is better than the best day in prison any day of the week. Would you agree? And so I want you to think about Paul's writing from prison, and he's saying these things that we quote, and, and it's not just prison, like the way we think of prison. There's some pretty crazy things when you start to look at prison in biblical days. You'll find this verse in Proverbs, and it talks about having gravel in your mouth with your bread. Uh, Many times in prison, just to torment the prisoners, particularly those that were really uh, strong offenders, then they would bake bread to feed them with rocks in the bread, and they would have to sift through the the rocks just to get nourishment in their body. The, the, The situation and circumstances were deplorable, and I'm going to do my best to explain, but no matter how I paint the picture, no matter what you embrace in your thinking, you're not going to get it to the depth of what was going on. But some believe they have actually found the cell in Rome where Paul was in prison. And it's not a cell like you and I might think. It's a hole in the ground. And that hole in the ground, very commonly, they would put a prison in the very bottom of the hole, put a grate, and then put another prison, and then put a grate, and then put another prisoner, and there would be three prisoners deep stacked down in a hole in the ground with a grate above them. The sewage system is the guy below you. So let me just say, 
prison, when we think prison, we don't think nearly uh, any kind of accurate perspective and disposition. How many of your life is tough? How many of you got some tough stuff going on in your life? Can I just see, how many of you is not as tough as being in the third level beneath two guys in a prison grate, okay? And so in the midst of this, we start to get a picture. Now, this is a letter Paul wrote in, in most likely this very circumstance that we're describing, and it's called what? The letter of joy. The big theme in Paul's suffering is joy. Very important, write this in if you would on your first blank. Happiness is about a certain set of circumstances, while joy is about a certain set of attitudes. And we're just talking basic Christianity today. Happiness is about a certain set of circumstances. Joy is about a certain set of attitudes. That's why Paul could have such terrible conditions, uh, literally be on his knees Imagine Paul on his knees getting anything he can, any type of little piece of paper that maybe somebody brought him, trying to scratch out a note that he's going to send to these believers. And this is the circumstance that Paul is in as he's writing what we just so you know, cleanly open our nice clean Bibles, and, and we've divided it into really easy-to-find chapters and verses, which he didn't write. And so we, we see it our way, but, but the way he was writing it and how God preserved that writing was so important for us to understand that he was writing from deplorable conditions, but he understood this letter would be a letter that's expressed out of the very eternal nature of God, not the circumstances that the world has to offer. No matter what the circumstances the world may offer you, you still can embrace the eternal nature of God. You can rise above your circumstance and your situation if you're willing to do so, if you're willing to embrace a certain set of attitudes rather than long for a certain set of circumstances. I don't know what your letter would be, but my letter, is, is this just a little hot out there? It sounds okay to you? It's a little hot? It sounds a little funny. You guys can maybe adjust it down or whatever you need to do back there, just a little bit. But I want you to imagine Paul in this situation writing a letter. What would you write? I mean, I was thinking about this all week. What would I write if I'm in that situation? I would be writing to Tracy, my wife. Uh, who's an attorney that has maybe some connections to judges or, you know, somebody. Like, do we know anybody with any influence whatsoever to get me out of here? That would be letter number one. How many of you agree? Can I just see? Like, get me out of here. But that's not what Paul wrote. In fact, he doesn't write that. Not only does it not, not write it at the beginning of the letter, he doesn't write anything like that anywhere throughout the entire letter. It's almost as if Paul had a different set of priorities than modern-day Christians do. This is what Paul starts with. Philippians chapter 1, he gives his greeting, verse 3 and 4. Here's the first bit of substance that he expresses to these believers. I thank, everybody say, thank God. <laughs> I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That's crazy. You know that in the book of Hosea, the Bible actually says the inspired person is considered a maniac in the world. Isn't that wild? Like, you know what we've done? 
We've tried to tame Christianity into a self-serving religion in the culture in which you and I live. And I resist that. How about you? I reject that. How about you? I choose to rise up and embrace the nature of God in this gospel of Jesus Christ. How about you? It's going to cost us something to come to that conclusion, and we all need to understand it. And we're going to see it with such clarity as we sort through this. But, but again, the first thing he does is bring thanks. How many of you in a difficult set of circumstances right now? Many of us in the room. And what's the first thing Paul does to set the example? To let Jesus be our eternal, relentless source of joy. He begins to thank God. The first thing we need to learn to do in any circumstance is to begin to give thanks to God. I thank God for my strength. I thank God for my life. I thank God for my friends. I thank God for my family. I thank God for the love of Jesus. I thank God for the blood of Jesus. I thank God for the power of God. I begin to thank God. That's the first thing he does. If you want to break free from the, the, and and we are, let me just say, I am staring, and I have been for days, and this is what I've been warring. I am staring in the face of anguish, and I'm staring in the face of depression, and I'm staring in the face of this spirit that tries to control us and cause us to be emotionally distraught, and I bind that now in Jesus' mighty name that we might rise up and be free. Come on, help me. Why don't you help me call that in? In Jesus' name. Now, I know there's some guests in the room, and you probably have already leaned over to your friend who invited you, friends, and said, man, your pastor's a little intense. And I will never apologize for that. I want to grow in the eternal priorities of God. Life is not life without the purposes of God being awakened in every one of us. Life is not life if we do not understand God wanted something to be accomplished, and that's what makes you necessary. And the enemy wants to hijack your function, and he wants to hijack your purpose, and he wants to distract you with all kinds of issues around the circumstances of your life, the imprisonment factor, whatever that is for you. And Jesus wants to liberate us beyond that. In these extreme circumstances that Paul is in, Difficult circumstances that he's in. By the way, this is the latter part of his stay in imprisonment, and and he is awaiting potential execution. That's where he is in this particular book. He's awaiting potential execution. He's writing about thanking God and and these elements. 16 times in the course of these four chapters, Paul mentions the word joy. That's why we reference this as the epistle of joy. Obviously, the joy of the Lord is our strength no matter what the world may be trying to give us. The joy of the Lord is our strength no matter who may have betrayed you. The joy of the Lord is your strength no matter what giant is trying to stare you down. The joy of the Lord is your strength no matter what somebody took away from you. They cannot take your joy. Circumstances, next blank, a very important statement, something that you should probably put all over your social media today. Circumstances may explain you, but they do not have to define you. 
I have a certain set of circumstances that explain my life, but they do not define who I am. He defines who I am. He defines who you are. Situations that you've walked, walked through do not have to hold you hostage. It's interesting when we start to look at this whole perspective and this revelation of joys revealed in the book of Philippians by an author penning this letter in atrocious circumstances, and he begins to show us, first we saw in chapter one, where the whole aspect of learning to give thanks in all circumstances. Have you read that verse before? In more than one place in the Bible, give thanks in every circumstance, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, learn to give thanks. Then we go into the second chapter, and we see where Paul gets his mind off of being so self-absorbed. I want you to know, you are on the fast track to utter and total depression if you stay focused on yourself. Life will be awful. Because all you think about is what you don't have, and if I only had this, and if I, if I didn't have to deal with this, and you become the center of your universe, and you then begin to sit on the throne, and you move Jesus over, and he politely gets up because he's a gentleman. He doesn't require you to put him in the center of your life. You make the choice when you get self-absorbed to push him off, and you sit down and say, I think God will serve me now, and if I don't get my way, or if I don't understand everything that's happening in my life, I'm going to be mad at God, and I'm going to be mad at everybody else. And Paul addresses this as he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, do nothing. Remember his circumstances. Remember where he is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. How can I love others? How can I serve others? How can I give to cause other people's lives to flourish? That's the mindset of Christ Jesus. How can I do whatever it takes for me to give consideration into the lives of people around me that are within my reach? The kingdom of God is at hand. That means God, life's greatest treasures are within your reach. You just have to get your focus off of yourself and start getting your focus on the lives of other people. So I'm doing this leadership session with uh, our staff, elders, leaders. It's open invitation. Anybody that would like to come, we do it the first Tuesday of the month at 8 o'clock in the training room right next door. I invite you next week. Is it next week? A week from Tuesday? This week. It's this Tuesday. <laughs> I'm going to really get on this because I'm bringing a focus that it just makes sense, but how many of you would say, as would I, I sure married up? Mm-hmm. See, this is the trick, and this is what's amazing. Think about what I'm saying. Marriage done right means both people married up. And the reason 
is because there's nothing more painful than two selfish people trying to use each other to make themselves happy in a relationship. And there's nothing more beautiful than two servants wanting to serve the purposes of God in the relationship that they are in. Nothing more painful than two selfish people in a relationship. Nothing more beautiful than two servants in love. And the bottom line, marriage done right, is two people surrendering to the nature of loving, serving, giving Jesus. That How many of you know he's nicer than you are? So marriage done right means both people are surrendering to a nature above their own, and both people then marry up because Jesus is Lord in the relationship. You want to talk about true leadership? That's true leadership. It's submission. It's humility. It's partnership. It's allowing Jesus to be Lord in every one of our lives, drawing others into that place of lordship. If you're here today and you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, you need to do that. Today is a really important day for you to sense that conviction because I don't care how good you act or how nice you try to be, you'll never be as good and you'll never be as nice and you'll never be as loving as Jesus will be through your surrendered available life. Amen. And let me just say, we make no bones about this. God has set a plan in motion since the beginning of time, since the, the origin of humanity, all the way back into Abram's day, in the progression of the temple, in the progression of New Testament. God has set a, a, something in motion that is to perpetuate us in a mindset that causes us to get free from me, free from ourselves. And it is our worship, and it is our giving, and it is every, listen, you just got to understand where I'm coming from with this. Every time there is increase in my life, the Bible actually calls this the tithe. I know it's been, I know the concept's been abused, and I just have to tell you, I kind of have to navigate through my own emotions whenever I start talking about this stuff, because I hear so much abuse and nonsense about all of this, but I just want to say, enough, we're going to stand for what we know the Bible says we're to stand for, and I want to be bold, and I want to be clear, and I want to be concise, and I want to speak it with conviction. And the word tithe literally is, is M-A-A-S-R-A. That's the word that translates tithe. It simply means 10%. And what the Bible says is that you and I are actually supposed to take the first 10% of all income and increase that comes to our life and bring it into the storehouse and worship God in our giving. Listen, it does not say that we take care of all the stuff that we're worried about and then we give God what's left over and hopefully there'll be 10%. That's not the way the principle works. And it works this other way on purpose because he's trying to move us into a place of faith. He's trying to move us into a place of trust. He's trying to move us in a place where we're no longer so self-absorbed that that's all we're thinking about, how my needs can be met. First and foremost, we honor God. And it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a perspective of the way that we're constantly coming face to face with the reality. Jesus wants us to live a life that's beyond our own. There are purposes for your life that are greater than your life. You understand? Paul said this. He goes on to chapter 3, and he addresses this, verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Like God looked, and he saw you, and he determined that there are purposes for which he was taking hold of you. You understand, a good father has great ambitions and dreams for their sons and daughters. And God the Father is no different. He's the best father, and he has 
dreams and ambitions for your life, and he saw those dreams and ambitions when he reached down and he grabbed you by the hand and you responded by the conviction that was in your heart and you realized, I've been just living for me and God wants me to live for something beyond me. He wants me to live in a place and a posture that's surrendered to the eternal purposes of God, caring for the needs of others as is in the heart of God. And I just, this is such a true declaration, but if you don't devote yourself to the greater purposes of love, you confine yourself to a self-serving existence, and you were born for more than that. Would you just let that settle in? If we don't devote ourselves to the greater purposes of love, we confine ourselves to a self-serving existence. And we were born for more than that. Jesus' mission cost his life. You understand? Jesus' mission cost his life because his mission was not this life. Your mission should be costing you something of the way you live this life. I straight up said it on Easter Sunday. Are you, are you saying that we should schedule our time and, and arrange our resources of life in a way that constantly brings focus and attention to Jesus and the work of the church, the expanding work of God in the earth? And the answer to that, yes, absolutely, that is right. No question about it. That is why we exist. And it doesn't mean the church has it all figured out. Let me assure you, the church doesn't have it all figured out. And there are plenty of mistakes we make right here in this congregation. But there are a lot of mistakes made in the church worldwide. But that doesn't mean we can abandon what Jesus died to establish. He died to establish the church. So come on, let's be everything we can be in the call of God in our lives as the body of Christ. It's expensive to be effective. And it is going to cost you to really find your place in the purpose of God. And I want to go back to the first chapter of Philippians because I felt this was an important element as we break anguish and depression. Paul says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him. Not a really popular verse, is it? It's not a real happy thing, is it? Do you see it? It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. And I just felt the Lord was asking me to bring this perspective that we do need to understand. Because how many of you know it is not a question in the world in which you and I live if we will suffer. It is a question when we will suffer, and we will suffer. But here's the thing. I think people get off when they start talking this kind of stuff because they don't understand. This is what the Scripture is saying, and and I just want to say it to you just real clear. Don't waste your suffering. I I want to help you understand how to not waste your suffering. Listen, how many of you know you pay a great price for everything you've suffered in your life? The price you paid for your suffering is too great just to waste it. And so, you know, I, I think of the, the couple 
that had a miscarriage and the father whose communication after the miscarriage broken in their situation and the father who then responded and said, now that I've lost my son, I can further identify with God the Father who lost his son as he gave his son on the cross that we might have life. That ache that's in my heart drives me closer to understand the very nature of God. Do you understand? Or the woman whose husband abandoned her and he left her. And in her words, her explanation, her description was, I've never felt so betrayed. I've never felt so abandoned. I've never felt so injured. I've never understood what Jesus seems to always feel. Every time I've abandoned him and turned away from him all the years that I've tried to serve him. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're suffering, let it drive you deeper into the purposes of God, relating with the understanding of the nature of the cross and Jesus Christ so that we can become more like Him.